the minute you walked into a combat scenario, I said, you were a dead man. I said, you just wake up every day and you say, good morning, self, you're already dead. Now let's get up and, and do your job. And that was the last thing I, I pretty much ever said to him. Uh, and it really kind of just, uh, crushed me because two weeks later, you know, he was killed Welcome to Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM and streaming at WERA.FM. This is Ed Mellick and I'll be your host for the program tonight. Back in 2016, tonight's guest wrote, I know I'm a train wreck and a dumpster fire, but I also know that God loves me 100% as is right now in the midst of the burning carnage that is often my life. Benjamin Sledge is a combat veteran who served in Iraq and Afghanistan He's the recipient of the Bronze Star, a Purple Heart, and two Army Commendation Medals. Unfortunately, though, his experiences led to struggles with depression, drunkenness, and violence. Today, Ben travels around the country educating businesses, nonprofits, and churches about mental health issues, life in the military, and following Jesus Christ. He's an author, graphic designer, metalhead, and licensed minister, a bit of a Renaissance man. He joins us today to talk about how things turned around for him and to offer true hope to others. Ben, welcome to Grace in 30. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate you. Uh, let me come to your show. I know I'm uh, a little bit of the different crowd, maybe. <laughs> no, not at all. I told you when I reached out to you that I read a few of your Medium articles and really uh, was impressed by what you wrote. And uh, I just had to reach out to you. I wanted to start off talking about your best friend, Kyle, who was killed two weeks after joining you in Afghanistan. Do you remember the last time you saw him and what you said to him? Yeah, that's a, it's, it's a somewhat of an unfortunate story. Um, Kyle and I met while we were in the military and, um, just became best friends. And, uh, he, he was going to college at, at Oklahoma Christian at the time. Neither of us were, really kind of believing in, in anything. And, uh, one of the key things that, and this always sticks out in my mind, um, as far as like the last thing that I said to him is, um, he, he had flown in and I was in Kandahar at the time because I had been wounded in action. And so I was, I was there and I had, you know, a cast on my hand and, uh, <laughs> I, I just, I look like hell. And, uh, he takes me outside one one day and it's right before he's about to join his team out on the border where we were. And, uh, he said, how'd you do it? Uh, and I, I was like, do what? And he said, uh, how'd you, how'd you make it through this without going, uh, crazy or, or, or being scared or, or whatever it was that, uh, you know, you were dealing with like all these conflicting emotions. It's like, how did you make it through nine months of just dealing with combat? And I just remember, and at that point, I was just very numb, very calloused. And I said, Kyle, look, man, you've got to make your peace with death right now. Um, because if you don't, I said, all you're going to do is worry about dying. That's that's going to be your life. That's what you're going to focus on. And I said, and then who knows, you might you know, step on a landmine and, and get blown to bits. And um, because of that, uh, I kind of went more in depth. And I just told him, I said, the minute you walked into a combat scenario. I said, you were a dead man. I said, you just wake up every day and you say, good morning self, you're already dead. 
Now let's get up and, and do your job. And that was the last thing I, I pretty much ever said to him. Uh, and it really kind of just uh, crushed me because two weeks later, you know, he was killed. And uh, the last thing I said to him was not like, hey, buddy, don't worry about this. You got this. Or, and give him a hug. And, and instead, it was just kind of like, hey, man, accept that you're already dead. And then sure enough, he ends up dead. So you had been there for a while, and uh, Kyle came and overlapped with you for a couple of weeks, and then you came home, and you didn't do too well when you got home. You were drinking and getting a little bit violent, and at some point you decided to go back overseas, and tell us about how you came to make that decision. Yeah, I, I mean, part of me was like, oh, we can get revenge kind of thing, and it's so it's such a stupid sentiment, you know, I, the way that you are a soldier in when you're 20 and then when you're approaching 40 is so, so much different. And when you have time to, to look back on it. But, um, I, at the time I had already gone through counseling for post-traumatic stress disorder and, and had readjusted. And I swore I was never going to go overseas again, like swore to myself up and down. And this is the problem that veterans face. Like, and I still have this problem. Every vet, every combat veteran has this. It's, do, do you remember the age old adage where your parents come to you and they'd be like, if your friends were jumping off a bridge, would you do it? If you're a veteran, the answer is yes. <laughs> like if it's the guys you served overseas with and they're all jumping off bridge, you better jump off that bridge together. Um, and so m the guy who trained me, who was, who was like kind of my just mentor in the military is a guy named Paul Gonzalez. Uh, he said, Sledge, I'm, I'm going to Iraq. He's like, one way or another, you're going to be ending up there in the next year or two. He said, you can pick who you go with and it'll probably be a bunch of idiots and you'll get yourself killed. Or you can come with us and we can all manage this together. And uh, I was like, all right. And he's like, think about it. And I was like, oh, I can get revenge for Kyle too. Like that was in like the subconscious mindset. And, and the problem with war is like once you get over there, you you have to – and if you interact with the public, um, you get to see the face of real people and they no longer become your enemies. Uh, and it's, it, it becomes more difficult um, to dehumanize them. And the military is very good at doing that as far as our training, but still there's that aspect there that, that really nags you. Um, and so that's how I ended up back overseas. I just, I volunteered because everybody else was doing it and they're like, we'll give you your own, your own team sergeant slot. And I was like, why not? And they're like, we're going to the most dangerous city on earth. I was like, fun. I've already done that. <laughs> so, so you make it through again, you come home and you're struggling again. You're actually homeless at one point. And one of your friends, uh, who's an atheist, at some point became so exasperated with you that he invited you to go to church with him. Tell us about how that came about. Yeah, so I had been going through a messy divorce. My wife had left while uh, I was in Iraq. And so um, when I got home, you know, there's this house that I don't know and people I don't know. She'd you know, moved to Houston to be close to her family. And, um, I just, you know, I don't know anybody. I don't know where to go. So I don't have a car, so I have to rent one. Um, and I end up like living on my best friend's couch. This is where I lived. 
um, for, for a while, you know? And, uh, he, you know, when I drove to Austin, he's like, I, I got a pot of coffee and a case of beer. And this, this was my friend from college. And he was like, one of those atheists is like, there is no God. And I hate him. And I would always make fun of him. I was like, look, there might be something greater out there, but I was like, I don't get mad at fairies and unicorns and stuff like that. Like, uh, so, you know, I, I was like, oh, why are you mad at this being you, you assume doesn't exist? Um, and anyway, uh, I'd been sleeping on his couch and you know, he's wanting to take me out to party um, down on Austin's historic sixth street. Cause that's where I, I just gone from, I'd landed in Houston. And then that night I packed up and drove to Austin. Um, and he could just tell it was getting worse, like worse and worse and worse and worse. And so finally one day he's like, Hey man, can I take you to church? And I was like, what is that going to do for either one of us? You know? And I thought it was just kind of bizarre. And he's like, I don't know, maybe you can meet a nice Christian girl. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's really going to help after a divorce. Fantastic. Um, but I ended up going to this church called gateway. Um, just, he had heard it was one that like atheists and people who didn't really believe could stomach. And it was kind of fun. And I was like, I don't know about that, man. Church isn't supposed to be fun. And, uh, anyway, we ended up going and uh, just kind of really loved it. And, and the message was just really one of a, a gospel presentation that, you know, in the midst of the mud and the muck that is your life, you are a masterpiece and God loves you as is. And I was like, man, that's that's so different because I, I grew up in, you know, the buckle of the Bible belt in Oklahoma where everything was um, very much the word of faith movement, prosperity gospel movement um, that kind of permeated through the culture here. Was your family a group of believers? Yeah, they are. And they, I mean, my parents spent a ton of time praying for me. And, you know, they always ask me, they're like, do you blame us for, you know, the weirdness you endured growing up? I'm like, no, not really. It, I, I blamed more of kind of like the leaders that were there just kind of using a gospel message as propaganda for, you know, to get rich or build airplanes or have golden toilets or and stuff like that. <laughs> So you go to church, and then you start attending the church, and at some point you met a couple of young guys who had a significant impact on you. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, uh, there were two guys, uh, just young guys. One of them was a little bit older, about a, a year or two older than me. His name was Josh, and another guy named Andy. Um, and I met Josh because he was speaking at this event called Crave at our church, which was like church at a a bar. It was, and they were trying to reach people on Sixth Street. So our church put on this deal, and it was really kind of weird. And but it was only like two blocks from where I was working, and I almost didn't go. I was like, no. And then like the spirit really like kind of wrestled me because you know I was I was just checking out church at that time and didn't know it was the spirit, and I just felt very strongly I should go. So finally, I just you know I'm in my work clothes, like I go ahead and go. Um, and I step into this bar where like the floors are like this ratty crushed velvet and there's like a human fish tank up there. And I'm like, they start baptizing people. I was like, I'm totally out, you know? Um, but there was like, of course, a lot of pretty girls there. So I was like, Oh, jackpot. And, um, and, and anyway, uh, Josh is the speaker there that night. And he's one of the most prolific communicators I've ever, ever heard. And he ended up becoming a wall street journal, bestselling author. It just, phenomenal phenomenal um and he's who actually how i learned how to write as well um but he uh his message man just connected home 
And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there trying not to cry. I'm next to these girls and they're seeing me and it's just, it's just kind of a mess. And at the time, man, I looked like I just ate gyms, you know, I was like really into bodybuilding. And so this is just this huge, and I'd spent all this time carrying heavy equipment in Iraq and I'm just getting back. So I'm, I'm just massive at this point. So I'm kind of scary looking instead. And that was the thing, Josh said, I made made this beeline for him. And uh, he was like, Oh God, this guy's going to punch me in the face. And I just stuck out my hand and said, Hey, I really enjoyed your message. You know, it, it touched me in a way that, you know, I haven't felt in years. I uh, just wanted to say thanks, you know, and I wasn't really going to stick around or, or say anything. He just said, uh, he said, thanks. I appreciate that. Tell me your name. And I said, well, my name's Ben, but my friends call me sledge, which is my last name, but I didn't clarify that. And he just takes one look at me and he goes, I bet they do. <laughs> so long story short, I ended up like accidentally hitting on his wife. I didn't know it was his wife. I mean, and he just, he continued to like, despite all my kind of blunders, and I really wasn't interested in necessarily the message. I just knew that these guys accepted me. And so Josh was mentoring this guy named Andy and I met him and we all just kind of began hanging out and then they invited me to serve alongside them in the church. And I thought that, you know, you had to be qualified in certain ways um, in order to just really uh, live this Christian lifestyle. And sure enough, like uh, they, they caught me totally off guard and, and, you know, showed me an opposite way of living to where I could you know, just gradually grow and learn and be messy in the midst of everything. So these guys weren't your typical Christian. They were tat-wearing, beer-drinking, occasionally swearing guys, but they were real. And this is something that was attractive to you. I'm curious, though, if you felt like your genuine conversion occurred after meeting these guys, or it happened earlier in life uh, growing up in Oklahoma. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I've, I've long wondered about that. Everybody's wondered about that. That's why I get angry still, like kind of at the, hey, pray this prayer, like invite Jesus in your heart. And I'm like, one, you know, I like to study a lot of old dead theologians. And I'm like, there is nowhere where anybody talks about this. This is like a new Americanized invention, you know, as far as like, this is how you get saved. You like say this, and we basically boiled it down to like this witchcraft incantation where it's like, now repeat after me, Newt's blood, you know? And you're just like, what? Um, so I would say, you know, early on, um, it would have been, you know, I wanted to believe um, but just based on everything I saw, there was kind of like this head and this heart disconnect. And then really when I just began seeing kind of like the rampant hypocrisy, as far as pastors that demanded perfection from the stage, and then were like just wheels off doing crazy stuff. I was like, man, th this is all smoke and mirrors. And you know, growing up where I grew up, you can't tell people like, Hey, I'm having serious doubts about my faith because like, then you get the scary hell talks. It's like, well, you're going to burn for eternity. I'm like, great. That sounds awesome. I want to choose that option. Thanks for, you know, <laughs> helping me process through my doubts. Like just tell me I'm going to burn. Um, and I just, I never had that. And, and so I would say, you know, for me, it, it was just kind of like, it was this thing that I did. Um, and, it was so dramatic when I became a Christian that 
you know, and people talk about that, that moment or that time And mine was gradual. Mine was much more like CS Lewis's slow conversion over time to where I just literally woke up one day and said, Oh my God, I think I'm one of them. I actually said something worse, but, um, I was just like, Oh no, I think I'm a Christian. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's spend a little time talking about mental health issues. I know that's something that's heavy on your heart. And you're actually working with a group called Heart Support, and you can listeners can look them up at heartsupport.com. Why don't we spend a little time you talking about who they are? Um, you know, they've got a bit of a heavy metal, uh, hard rock uh, background connection, and uh, and I know you have a focus on serving veterans, helping people understand what it's like for veterans to come home. Let's talk about who they are, what they do, how you came across them, and in particular, given the situation we're in now with COVID, it's a very difficult uh, environment to be in for people who are struggling with issues and are now finding themselves isolated. Yeah, and that's I think that's been my biggest concern is like right now I'm I'm getting an advanced diploma in like um crisis response, trauma and suicide prevention. And uh the leading causes of of suicide is is uh social social isolation and job loss. And like after the 2007-2008 recession, there were 10,000 suicides directly linked to that. So now you have mass unemployment and everybody's in isolation. Like it, it's a cause for concern. And for me as a, as a vet, like one of the most destructive things that happens when we get out is we used to live in a close knit community of brothers where, you know, everybody had each other's back. You could depend on them uh, day in and day out uh, through life. And, and then you get out and suddenly you're alone in a new city and you're afraid, like you don't, know anybody like that's literally what happened to me and that's what happened to so many of my friends and so everybody copes with difficult situations in in some ways some people can utilize their faith other people's turn to drinking and drug abuse some people turn to social media everybody numbs something in some way shape or form it's just what you do that with that is either going to be uh productive and life-giving or destructive and so the way that I, I got involved in heart support for me was, um, you know, I'd gotten back, I started getting involved in church and and I was always the metalhead. And I thought, you know, everybody thinks like you listen to metal, you like, you obviously kick puppies and worship Satan, you know, you're throwing <laughs> up the little, the sign of the horns and it, it man, it's still that way. Um, and it's just, it's, it's bizarre in a lot of ways because you have a lot of really good guys in the metal industry that are wanting to do good. Um, and for Jesus and, uh, my boss is, he, he's this guy named Jake Lors. He's the lead singer of a metal band where he literally screams for a living. He it's, it's the screaming and, uh, he's been nominated twice for a Grammy and he was just sitting outside the Chicago house of blues one day after a show. And he goes, God, you've given me such a platform, you know, how can I get back to you? And, uh, God just kind of gave him this vision of where people could come and be, completely imperfect and broken and, and explore healing, um, utilizing the tools and technology that we have today and using and leveraging technology in a positive manner, as opposed to a destructive one and create relevant resources for an online generation. And so I heard about that and, you know, at the time now I'm a Christian, I'm like, man, I would love to get involved in something like that. And really through a series of just weird twists and turns, I ended up writing an article that got popular on the, the, the website. And, uh, I met Jake after a show 
Um, and he, you know, he would always hear from his fans after every show, he goes and meets them out at the barricades or the merch table and, uh, just talks with them. And they always share about like what they're going through. Um, because if there's one thing about music is, is like you listen to songs on your best days and on your worst days and, and you connect with that music because you feel like the lyrics are talking about what you're going through. And that's it for most of us, even if it's praise and worship music. That's why there's so many songs about storms these days from Christian recording artists, you know? Um, but he, when I saw that he was doing that, man, I just, I wanted to give back. Cause I was like, man, um, you know, when I got home, there was a lot of addiction. There was a lot of depression. There was a lot of just dark moments in my life that many veterans have gone through and I wanted to find a way to give back. And so I started volunteering and eventually that turned into a job and he was like, Hey, fundraise your salary. I was like, what? And so my wife and I prayed and fasted about it for two days and it was just abundantly clear. And I, I, I took a 60% pay cut and, and left my corporate, very lucrative corporate job and, and uh, started working for for Jake and kind of spearheading um, the organization. Um, so a number of things are coming together for you, uh, but certainly the anchor and the lens through which you look at everything is Jesus Christ. How does he help you? How does your relationship with him help you and help you to help other people? Yeah, I, I think for me it's just... <sighs> One of so I want to deconstruct and reconstruct this real quick. One of the things that I think a lot of people ultimately do um, is they come to God to get something. You know, <laughs> uh, I'm going through this crisis, so therefore I need this help, and so they start praying or, or whatever it is. And, um, and and you know that's that's kind of why I ended up the way that I ended up uh, in the community. But then your focus, like when you, you really kind of grasp the gospel and you really begin to understand who God is, like it shifts everything um, because the entire message of Jesus is like spend time with really broken, messy people, your enemies, people that hate you and love them, you know, in, in absurd ways. And when you do that, all the law and the prophets hinge on that. Like it's not, it's not this weird, like, oh no, you know, like do X, Y, Z first, you know, clean up your act and then, you know, maybe you can get into ministry somehow. Um, Instead, like when you take that lens and it's the way that we view everything that we do through our organization, everything that we do through heart support, where we go, if I can impact you in a positive manner and get you the help that you need for mental health, regardless of what you believe, you are going to get to see a picture of the hands and feet of Jesus. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of debate right now on like, oh, s- social gospel or justice gospel and all this other stuff. But you, your faith and your works have to align. Like that's the entire book of James. Like you can't, you can't just be a self-righteous jack wagon and, and no scripture and, you know, all of that because you, you just become a clanging symbol. And instead, when you wash people's feet and you love your enemies, especially those on totally opposite political spectrums and lifestyles and, and, and everything else different from you, you have a chance to impact them for kingdom good. And like, that's the part that, that for me is so impactful in everything that I do. It's like it, it, you know, it impacts my writing. It impacts um, the way that, you know, I treat people, my family, spouse, and granted, you're going to execute this completely and perfectly. And some days you're just going to straight up fall off the wagon. 
like just yelling and screaming or, you know, being a, a turd yourself. And, and the reality is, is that, you know, when those moments occur, you have to kind of come back, you have to come back to the source, recenter and remember that, you know, everything that you do in this life is going to echo into eternity. And so if you are loving people under, you know, God, uh, and the way that he wants them to be loved, that that's what matters most to God's heart. Um, because then you're, you're going to influence them and then God is going to be the one to change their heart. And I get so many people who are just completely confounded. And this is the funniest stuff. We get, we get people that are, you know, Satanists out, um, when we've been out on the road at like these festivals and it drives them wild that they actually like us, you know, (laughs) they're expecting us to just be these jerks. And instead we take the view set of that person that's the Satanist right now, that's wearing like, you know, upside down crosses and pentagrams and all that other stuff. They may be the next Saul of Tarsus, like, and people forget that. And so when we go, we would love to spend time with you. We would love to hang out with you. Tell us why you believe what you believe. You know, we recognize that we have a God that is way bigger than, than the darkness. And I think that's the thing that, that Christians forget is oftentimes we blame the dark for being dark as opposed to being a light in the darkness. And you can't blame the dark for being uh, dark. You have to blame the light for not showing up there. So what is the core thing that you want to share with people? What's the thing that you say to yourself, if I don't say anything else in this interview, I'll make sure I say this. <laughs> um, I, I think, oh man, that's a, that's a loaded question. Let me go with this. Um, I, I think that there is a, a disservice that people do when they, when they say in the mental health spectrum, it's okay to not be okay. And especially in the church too. And I go, yeah, that's great, but it's not okay to stay that way. And if, if we're not taking proactive steps to get better and we're not growing and we're not creating, and so from the Christian side, if you're not creating disciples, like you're literally shirking the two greatest, the two greats that Jesus gives you, the greatest commandment and the great commission, love, love God, and then love your neighbor. And as you love your neighbor, then you can make disciples that way. That's literally, that's it. Like right there. And instead, we are so interested in like, what is, you know, is this service awesome? Um, you know, how's the worship? Who's the newest celebrity pastor? Like all stupid stuff that really doesn't matter. And I go, if we can get back to that heart and begin discipling people and loving them and mentoring them, we'll stop seeing this cannibalization of the church. Um, and and instead of just going, oh, I'm suffering. Oh, my marriage is falling apart. Oh, oh, me, woe is me, woe is me. We get, you know, it's kind of this self-righteous navel gazing that we do as opposed to getting the focus off ourselves and onto others. And when you do that, you live the life of Jesus and then you begin to impact other people and your mental health increases because you begin to realize the joy is in getting to love other people the same way that Jesus did. Ben, I hear a lot of action in the background. Man, I think oh, yeah, that's need, my daughter. This is a whole, whole, new war, whole new war zone. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the COVID life, man. Like everybody's yeah. dogs and children are on uh, podcasts now. Ben, thanks so much for joining me. If listeners would like to find out more about Ben, check out his website at benjaminsledge.com. That's S-L-E-D-G-E.com. And if you're struggling with mental health issues, please visit the heartsupport.com website. 
This is Ed and Ben signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.